0: Hi, this is Angie Fiedler-Sutton and Jen Morris, and you're listening to episode 11 of Stage Savvy. episode seven we were joined by my husband rich sutton this episode we book in that podcast as we are joined today by jen's husband chuck smith
1: yay <laughs>
0: so chuck how are you doing today
1: doing good it's a little bit earlier than i'm used to playing <laughs> i've never seen this parking lot in the daylight i realized today as we pulled in
0: <laughs> well a uh, chuck is a visual artist and a musician and jen helped me out here what else um, does he
1: do
2: pretty much everything extraordinary it's kind of he's one of those frustrating people that's- that's good at everything so yeah so we have a lot to cover uh, we actually met performing in a show together which was the show that you cast us yes. in. yes it's
3: true
1: it's true
0: ah the love of shakespeare it's true comedy of errors one was one's master if i remember right you um, have
1: to call me master several <laughs> times during the play itself that was that was all right all right yeah yeah i think I that
2: was that part of the appeal for him And I had no idea what was going on. (laughs) I I don't think anyone did. It's fine. So
0: anyway, Chuck, Mm -hmm. give us a little background about who you are and how you got to where you are. Are you originally from Kansas City?
1: No, I'm a Viking stock, uh, raised and born in Wisconsin, moved to Springfield, Missouri, spent most of my life there. It's a dismal little town. Actually, it's quite nice if you have a job. (laughs) Uh, It's a great school. Uh, There are a lot of great universities there. Worked as an artist in silkscreen and was in many bands in Springfield and moved up here about 16 years ago and started getting in bands and doing artwork around here. We've done some comic books and a children's book. I say we, it's just me and various friends of mine who do artwork.
0: So it's not the imperial we like my husband likes to use. No.
1: (laughs) So, Dan, your
2: turn? Oh, sure. Well... I know a lot of your background, but let's talk a little bit more about, you started off doing visual art before you went into bands, correct?
1: It's true. I was actually uh, displayed at a very young age in uh, several of the local art museums in the Springfield area in Lebanon and Joplin, things of that nature. Our our artwork actually went on tour, I think, when I was in sixth grade, which was, you know, being a young budding artist, I thought that was fantastic. I did graphic arts and silkscreen designs for several years right out of high school, and then a couple of years after that, I got into a band called Albino Rhino, which was named after one of our climbing spots. This is a very energetic group. We were all climbers, and pretty much if it was fun and dangerous and you could kill yourself doing it, we were going to try it at least once.
0: I've climbed before. Have you rappelled?
1: I have. We were we were very avid about the rappelling as well. Uh, the most fun I ever had rappelling was Australian style, which is head first, shoulder roped, and uh, you just basically like flying straight down, running down a mountain, and we did it in the dark with a base camp fire. So... You really didn't know how quickly that ground came up until you actually got the press of the, the rubber band effect, like the bungee effect, when you get to the bottom.
0: Yeah, I've, I, they called it angel repelling when I did it, sure. the face forward. I've done that myself back back when I was 12 or 13. Yeah, back am pretty sure it camp. would break me
1: now. I was a little rubber <laughs> yeah. person back then.
0: <laughs> so what drew you to uh, visual art as well as the the performing arts? What made you want to... I mean, was it something, was it a calling? Was it something that you've always done since you were little? Well, I always
1: sang, yeah. Mom mom was big on dog and pony shows. We went to a Southern Baptist church, and the first time I ever performed, I think, was all four verses of The King is Coming, and I was almost five years old when we had 250 people in the audience that day, which, if you can get over stage fright in front of a Southern Baptist church, I'm pretty sure everything's just easy from there. Springfield, we got to actually... uh, You know, I'd been singing the whole time, and when I was in bands previously, I did not play guitar. I just picked that up several years ago, and uh, it's nice now to be able to translate in the the writing as well. So hopefully we'll have something going with a, you know, we've got a great drummer and a great guitarist who I've been working with, and they both can play bass, so we've been doing some recording, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a full-on project going again real soon.
0: Well, that's interesting. I know when we had Pete here, we uh, noticed that he also had a, a church background. I'm, I have a church background as well, and I think, Jen, you said you okay. had. That's an interesting common theme where I'm, I'm noticing. I might have to write up an article about how how many actors have start, gotten their start by doing church plays and church <laughs> There's nothing scarier adjuncts. than thinking
1: you're performing for God.
3: There's nothing, <laughs> you know.
2: Well, I think it's also, and, and I guess maybe we get this is too much theology and psychology all in one spin, but, you know, maybe the Bible, God using a lot of stories to reach out, Jesus using stories to reach out, maybe there's just a common vein there where that's just a, an acting platform. To say it, platform.
1: how I would say it, she's, she's saying that her Christian background gives her the ability to love people that are unlovable like myself, <laughs> so... Uh,
2: Hey Chuck, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your band background? I know that you've had some famous managers, you've had some big opportunities. We had um, some
1: famous opportunities. <laughs> uh the manager that we had actually was uh his name was Dave Thrackle, he was a good guy, and he was managing Puddle of Mud, which was a local band at the time. And they ended up in a band war as bands do and, and splitting up for a while and we ended up running around town with a puddle of mud uh, road case and Dave Thrackle producing all these shows. We ended up picking up all their local headliners. So that was, that was a good time. We have got to meet a lot of bands like Collective Soul and 311 and Matchbox 20 Sister Hazel. We even met Jewel, which she's kind of cute in person and a little bit redneck creepy. Um, <laughs> well, it is Jewel. It is Jewel. She's fantastic. Yeah, we have uh, had the pleasure to uh, hang out with Pearl Jam before and after a show and watch them skateboard around and things like that even though we weren't playing the show. Music just opened up a lot of friend opportunities. I would end up meeting someone through music who would give me a juice card to go to an event, and then at that event I would meet someone cool who would give me another juice card to go to the next event, and so on and so forth. So, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, I've not gotten rich off of it yet. I suppose anything's possible. But,
2: uh, We're banking on it,
1: baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, did you take have any like official training, or is it all quote unquote on the job training in terms of your music ability or music?
1: I do not read music. I actually am able to uh, sing and pitch and and pick up the pitch so quickly that for sight reading and choir, I was in show choir at school and Madrigal as well, and for those sorts of things I would just simply listen real closely and as soon as the note was sang I would pronounce it loudly and they didn't know I wasn't in on the one because I came in just a split second after the one. The guitar has just been an absolute trial and frustration for me because I've been blessed with a lot of great guitarists in my life, hanging out with them and writing with them, and always been a little jealous in that area. So though I don't really like to call myself a guitarist, I'm more of a songwriter type. You know, that's, that's definitely what brought me to it, was just seeing the people around me creating uh, amazing music.
2: And how many songs have you written?
1: I don't know. I know it's over two or 300 at this point. It depends on what you consider having written a song. There's a lot of levels. of I've one quarter written probably 6,000 songs. So it depends at what point does it become a song. Set to music, we've recorded probably 50 or 60 songs over the years with different people. And most of those have gone by the wayside, or out of those, probably two dozen were professional studio uh, mixes. I know that Dave Thraklow, I was talking about earlier, he actually put us in Red House Studios, uh, and we did a three-song demo with them which, as My Mind, which was uh, a lot of fun there. So I, there's a lot of a lot of new songs that are getting written and uh, by several members of friends of mine that are playing in the band. So,
0: do you do much with the uh, local independent music scene? Do you perform much, or uh, do you? Uh...
1: I have been out of the local scene for about ten years now, which is the release of the Seldom album, which was a ten-song album that we produced ourselves. It was Dan McCoy and Chad Lawson. And Mark Camacho was my drummer. And we did play a lot of, that's America's Pub, The Hurricane. It was The Hurricane then. I believe it's The Riot Room now. But yeah, we, we played out as often as we could. We even played places like the Dew Drop Inn in DeSoto, which was a hoot. Uh, we were actually paid $50 to leave a gig once.
2: <laughs> awesome. Which is
1: probably my my best story. We were so loud that they just couldn't take our music and the woman came up and she said we need to leave and i said okay well we've driven all the way out here and she goes here's fifty dollars just leave it was the best we've ever been paid to to, you know be thrown out of a place certainly
2: (laughs) well and that kind of gives your band background and I, i know you're doing stuff now independently acoustically at small venues small shows but kind of going off the writing theme it kind of converges with one of your more recent projects um, with visual art. Tell us a little bit about your writing background um, more recently.
1: We've done a, a graphic novel, it was it's Mike Valverde, James Ryder, and myself called Lil Guy. It is uh, basically about a teenage boy who's terrorized by his father, hears voices, uh, ends up dealing with the duality of his own spirit and goes through your, your typical good versus evil struggle. It's done in black and white and very stark contrasted images. Each person in the book, the look of them comes from an actual person in life so that we could keep the dichotomy of characters. Uh, So it was really fun, of course, taking the pictures that we were going to draw from with all my friends pointing guns at each other and, and, you know, just doing still, I guess it's still acting. Is that what you would call that? Sure. Why not? (laughs) But, yeah, that's done that project. We've also uh, done the Astrodians, which there's still a, a lot of things developing on the Astrodian side right now. James Ryder is running after video books and flip books that you can use on your uh, your iPad and all those other lovely devices that I refuse to become a part of. So that's why James is working on it. But it's it's a cute story, and it's about aliens who live on a meteorite who's hurling through outer space, and you get to zoom in on the planet and get to see them kind of run around and run up and have fun.
0: Well, as a writer myself, I, I always hate the question, you know, where do your ideas come from? Because it always depends on the idea itself. But with those two specific ones, can you give me a little idea of, you know, what caused those ideas to spark in your head? Do you know what?
1: Oh, yeah. I would say deep traumatic childhood traumas. <laughs> Absolutely. that That's, it comes from life. I was the kid who would fit in the toilet in junior high. Uh, so, you know, fitting in a locker was not a big stretch either. At some point, you know, the boxing I had been doing since I was five paid off when I started working with Tong Trithara in Springfield, Missouri. He did Muay Thai, and he just he taught me how to how to be a man, I guess. dad had, you know, there was no father figure around except for my big brother, you know. But after 14, I pretty much formed everything on my own, which, you know, hence my screwed up opinions.
2: <laughs> well, kind of m- moving on a little bit to you are working on a new project as well, aren't you, as far as comic books go? I think she's fishing, Chuck.
1: I think what you're talking about would be The Mouse and the Raven, and yes, we are working on a new series, which is uh, kind of a supernatural gunslinger type of thing. It's not Jonah Hex. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. So It's, uh, it's going to be done all in pencil, on the interior of it. We have not decided on color yet, whether or not we're going to do black and white. As independence, you know, black and white's kind of a necessity to the survival of the, the costs. So, yeah, we've been doing a lot of different things and uh, just still trying to move forward. You have this many projects going, though, it's uh, it's hard to get any one of them finished. But you're never going to finish one and then move on to the next one and efficiently finish it anyway. So we just got to work on them all together.
0: Well, and in this day of uh, Web 2.0 and, and being you know more and more self-publishing, are you planning on self-publishing it, or do you plan on uh, trying to find...
1: We've self-published uh, six small books already, uh, five in the Little Guy series and one in, in the Astrodians. And so we obviously would uh, you know love to have that right sponsor and have looked around, but we get partial sponsorship on the printing and do do our own self-publishing right now.
0: Now, is that through, like, your own service, or just out of curiosity for myself? Uh, some of it, it was Internet. It...
1: We did a few runs on the Internet with a place called Kablam, which okay. if you were starting out in a, any kind of a... Magazine format for your artwork, then Kablam is awesome. They will give you a discount to carry their logo. We also did a local bit of printing, which we're not we're not sure how they're doing. Last we looked, they weren't doing great, so we're uh, hoping they'll be around for the next the next production. But you know, Kablam did a great job. They do a fantastic professional job of printing, and you know we're real happy with the product. We've done a couple of comic cons and set up signings. Uh, we haven't done anything in the last couple of years as far as shows go. So hopefully we'll have another one real soon. Do you manage
0: yourself or do you have some uh, an official manager?
1: I yeah, we pretty well manage ourselves. I pretty pretty much manage everything. We have a little guy account, which I you know, I'm in charge of the massive amount of money that we have you know, <laughs> made during this project. Uh which basically goes to the printing costs the next time around and stuff like that.
0: Sounds but, like how Casey Stage operates. <laughs> but I don't
1: I don't manage any of the computer stuff. That's all done by uh James Ryder and Mike Belverde.
2: And so Kind of going back to how we met, you have this background in visual art, you have this background in writing, you have this background in music, why the heck did you audition for a Shakespeare play?
1: I was bored. (laughs) I was bored and I was looking uh, to maybe expand my artistic horizons and, you know, ended up meeting a pretty girl and falling in love, who knew?
0: Well, and uh, Lance was the one that got you to audition, if I'm correct, is that
1: right? Uh, Lance and uh, Kelly convinced me every time I was in the building that I needed to. Kelly, which, what is her? Farrar. Yes. But, yeah, that's a great group of people at the Alcott. They really care about the community, and they really care about the arts.
0: Well, and back to your music um, thing. You said that you've played various clubs and all that. We try on the podcast to to, kind of tie it into the casey stage attitude we're trying to go into like the back end of things for someone who you know is new into the music business and who wants to maybe start a band and and go out do it what would you say is the best thing in terms of trying to get those gigs
1: find people you can get along with that you're going to be able to play with that you're going to enjoy butting heads constantly in a band kills a lot of gigs regardless if it does it early or late personalities get in the way you need to be able to trust. I think it's like any team or any business. You need to be able to trust your coworkers. And if you're going to take it from a business standpoint with bands, the best thing you could do is be dedicated and, and hope to find like-minded individuals. So. And, and
0: what would you recommend? Like, say they want to play a club, do they just go call out? Oh, you hound,
1: you hound everyone, and you just start cold-calling people and getting a connection from a connection until you can finally get in the door. Demo tape is a uh, demo you know, CD. Uh, is absolutely necessity if you're going to be able to pass that off to a club owner. Find out where other bands hang out, you know, like the downtown places, which is obviously a lot of times uh, where bands are playing. And just make friends. Make friends with local musicians and just, you know, make some music. If you do it for any other reason than to just make music, if you want to be rich, I wish you the best of luck and let me know how you did it.
0: Well, and I know you said you're, you know, you yourself are not getting into the iPad and whatnot. But with regards to the Web 2.0, obviously you had said you know it started out with a demo tape, which obviously tapes are <laughs> going right. out with reel to reel, and we're now going to CDs. It and was even, an eight track. <laughs> even that is yeah. Art Susskind said he yeah. had something on reel to reel. So. Absurd. But um, even CDs are now starting to become passe, and it's all now about the MP3 and about having it on a website or through um, you know MySpace. It, as much of it's no longer in Web 2.0 as much. I've heard it's still really good for bands. Do you have any input in terms of networking? So you know, absolutely put
1: your music out there. Yes, absolutely put your music out there and listen to other people's music. I think you also have to take an attitude of. You know, even though these other people who are in the bands are your competition, they're also, they're your coworkers as well. They're fighting the same people you are to try and get noticed. They're going through the same hard work learning their stuff. So there again, I think it's more about personality than anything else. Yes, networking on the internet is good, and we do all our recording digitally so that we can, you know, do MP3s and mail that stuff out. Because you never know when somebody's going to be listening. I think exposure, is whether it's internet exposure, whether it's playing in clubs, Word of mouth, if you're going and playing private gigs, it's, it's definitely exposure.
0: And I'm going to hug the interview one more time. With that in mind, I'm going to get political for a second with SOPA getting ready to be being currently discussed in uh, Congress, the uh, Piracy stop online piracy act. What are your thoughts about online piracy? And is that as big of a problem as people seem to think? Because I don't think it's a big problem. I think it's actually more networking it's better it's good if your stuff is being pirated in a way
1: to me it reminds me of how you know you've got the the uber wealthy who are paying the lowest percentage or whatever of taxes versus you know you and me making 24 and it's hard for me to feel sorry for them i think it's hard for the public to feel sorry for rock stars and for movie makers and actors when they know the kind of money they're making and that that's why it's hard for us to be sympathetic to the large companies Losing money is it? I don't believe it's right. I know it's not. It's not like kicking a baby or something, as far as you know, ferocity. But absolutely, it, it, there's got to be some sort of a change in regulation made. But a lot of bands have made it through exposure that was illegal pirating. I know that Limp Biscuit got a, a lot of exposure just putting their stuff out there and thinking that free was fine.
0: Well, and also there's the pay as you go. You know, pay what you want kind of plans. Uh, Was it uh, Metallica that released an album that they basically said pay what you want to pay and uh, like something like 60% of what they got was $20 or more for the full
1: album? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I knew that they were one of the ones who actually one of the bands who bucked for the security to be uh, raised because they had an album they were working on leak and it wasn't even mixed down yet. It sounded awful. And uh, so they had to basically redo that entire album and go away from the songs that they had worked on. So, those purposes, especially in the creation process, I mean, the pirating is bad. You also haven't had time to copyright it, you know, all the legalities that go with it. So, I mean, it's, it's just like traffic laws suck. I don't like them, but I understand that they exist for a reason. Let's
2: talk about why you do art. We talk to a lot of different individuals who primarily stage individuals, whether it's backstage producers, on stage... Um, This is a different perspective on stage, and we always spotlight a lot of musicians. What drives you to create?
1: Emotion. Uh, Whether it be love or hate or anything in between, I think emotion drives me to create. I also think that I I delve deeply into the fantasy and sci-fi realm of entertainment because it's also an escape, and that's what those shows do for me as well. Uh, it's very much the same thing in my artwork. I want to create heroes and villains, and in my mind, know how that it's all going to turn out, and know that that right will win. In my you know old school knight mentality, which is hard to live up to, by the way. I, I stumble across that uh, daily, but but yeah, I definitely think it, it feeds the soul, it, it feeds the mind, it feeds the body. It's 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 everything. Without the without the the passion, you're just simply living. You're not enjoying life. You're not participating in it. You're just alive
0: okay that's a good way to end this any final thoughts Chuck, before we uh do our bumper and continue
1: this room is as hot as my wife
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) okay well we'll take a short break and we'll come back and then we'll we'll end with a song by chuck so hold on one second
2: Hi, this is Larry Levinson. You can see my photographs at levinsonphotography.com, or you can go to Facebook and search for Levinson Photography. You're listening to Stage Savvy.
0: Thank you for listening to Episode 11 of Stage Savvy, hosted by Angie Feeler sutton and Jen Morris. We hope you enjoyed it and would love to hear your feedback you can send us comments in several ways. You can comment on the blog posting for this podcast over at angiefsutton.wordpress.com, which is also where you'll find the show notes for this podcast, including any links to Chuck's work that we may find. You can also email AFiedler, that's A, F as in food, I, E, D as in dog, L, uh, E, R, at caseystage.com. If you'd like your comment to be on the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 816-23-STAGE. Please indicate your calling about the podcast, as that's also the regular phone number for Casey Stage music Magazine. We'd like to thank KKFI at 90.1 FM for letting us record this podcast in their lovely studios, as well as Jason Bauer, who wrote the great theme music, a variation of I Got Rhythm. Thanks also to Larry Levinson, who you might also recognize as the author of Casey Stage's film clips column, for that bumper. And of course, special thanks to Chuck Smith for talking with us today. Since this is an audio podcast, we like to end each one with a song, usually written and/or performed by a local musician. If you're a musician and would like to highlight something you've written, just send us a note. Again, either by email, afiedler at casestage.com or by calling 816-23-STAGE and mentioning the podcast. Since Chuck is a musician, we're ending by a song by him, as, uh, as I said. Since he's there in person, I'm going to let him
1: introduce it. This song is called Glass Houses. I, I install windows and doors for a living, if there's any kind of irony there.
3: One, two, three, four. I never a work Never quite got along with Little much outside the lines is isn't all a waste of time to try And every damn conspiracy yeah. A million lies overwhelming me I, I wonder where you stand and fight hopefully It doesn't really matter much to me Cause I won't let you break me And I won't let you tear me down. And all the shit you want me to buy, I can only afford a few. But you don't look me in the eye, cause my money isn't good enough for you. And now a year has gone by, I blink there's ten more years to. Glad I didn't live my life doing all the things that they said I should do. I won't let you break me. I won't let you tear me down. I won't let you take me. I won't Gonna stand there. Are you gonna stand there? Now you gonna stand there? Now you gonna, gonna, gonna stand and fight or flee? Now my glass house is shattered. I guess I threw a rock or two Broken sounds of melted sand And now I'm on a throne my at you. But now my glass house is shattered I guess I threw a rock or two Broken sounds of melted sand And now I'm on a throne my back I won't let you break me and I won't let you tear down.
0: savvy is relieved under a creative commons attribution non-commercial share alike license for more information visit creativecommons.org